at Fusion. We're so glad that you're here joining us in person as well as those of you joining us online. Welcome this morning. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 68. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Good morning. Welcome to Fusion this morning. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? We begin with the words from Psalm 71. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. To this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, you do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generations and your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. Who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and better, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up. You will increase my honor, and you will comfort me once more. And I will praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, my God. And I will sing praise to you with a lyre, Holy One of Israel. As we pray, we'll pray through the words using the Lord's Prayer. Listen with me, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Help us to really know you, to bless you, to worship, and to praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power and your wisdom and your kindness, your mercy and your justice, your compassion and your truth. May your name be praised in our workplace, our schools, our churches, our communities, across this land and throughout the world. And your kingdom come. Guide us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we rely on you. Keep your church strong as we face numerous battles plaguing our culture today. Help us defy the enemy's tactics as he seeks to add division and distrust everywhere we turn. Destroy every force which revolts against you. Do this until your earth, your children, are fully restored, until your kingdom is complete and it's perfect. Give us divine patience as we wait. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us and all your people to reject our own wills and our desires to obey your will without reservation. Help everyone carry out the work we have been called to do as willingly, faithfully, and joyfully as the angels do in heaven. In a world that is deeply hurting, may we be your glowing light in the darkness by the way we listen, by the way we speak, by the way we care, by the way we share. It's all about love. Give us today our daily bread. Do take care of all of our physical needs so that we may come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work or our worry can change anything or do us any good without your provision and your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in the things of this world and to put our confidence and our reliance in you alone. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold anything against us, poor sinners as we are. 
any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive those who have offended us. And though this is often difficult, we know that this is your good and perfect will for us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the enemy of this world, fear, discouragement, disease, corruption, and our own failures never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us resilient through the strength of your comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in the spiritual struggle of worry and anxiousness, but may firmly and confidently resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory through the power of your name, Jesus. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We have laid these requests before you as your children because as our all-powerful king, you not only want, but you are able to give us all of this and abundantly more, more. Therefore, it is with boldness and confidence and with a grateful heart that we release these prayers into your hands, your sovereign hands. Thank you, Lord, for being our constant hope in this broken world. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Mary. And uh, boys and girls, you are dismissed for children's worship. And uh, while they head on out, let's give them a smile and a wave. And uh, let's bless them uh, because our children are a blessing. Amen. As, uh, as we think about that, uh, I just want to direct your attention to an email that's going to be coming your way this week. Uh, we've been working on a cool ministry opportunity, a real simple way to connect you with kids in our church uh, so that they feel the love and support that we, we have for them. And so look for that. Some more information is coming. Uh, also, um, as we continue to seek ways to uh, fellowship and be together, we're going to continue to try to, to have that fellowship time outside as long as the weather allows, but with the chance of scattered thunderstorms uh, later this morning and into the afternoon, we're going to just be outside in the gathering space this morning. Um, otherwise, good morning. How are you all doing? Yeah, well, yeah, beautiful weekend. Uh, my name is Pastor JV. It is wonderful to be together. If we haven't had an opportunity to connect, I'd love that opportunity. Uh, I, I, I don't know about, uh, anyway, I don't always feel like a fun parent. Anyone else not feel like one of the fun parents? Um, but, uh, but this Friday, we did something fun, and we showed up at school and to pick up Emmy, and I walk up, and she looks at me. She's like, hey, Daddy, why are you wearing your bathing suit? And I said, you want to go to the beach? She says, yes, and she turns around, we're going to the beach. So anyway, I was a fun dad for a Friday afternoon. We went to the beach, and I was freezing cold, but it was awesome. Let's get into God's word, shall we? 
This morning we're continuing a fall series. We've been camped out in Ephesians chapter 2, a series we're titling, Who Are We? Such an important question to know this, who we are, our identity. The series we've been exploring this working uh, vision language, working because you all will be invited uh, to give feedback as we continue to work through some of this language, but a lot of work has been done to come up with the statement that's on the screen right now. Uh, this is the language we have so far to see everyone joining in the journey of being found in Formed by and following Jesus. Uh, first week, we looked at everyone, right? First week, we looked at our vision, but more importantly, the gospel, uh, to see that the gospel is for everyone. Our vision as a church follows the vision of the gospel that tears down all of these dividing walls that our world and culture has built between people groups. All people are welcome. Amen. Last week, we focused on joining, right? We talked about what is, what is really our hope. Our hope is that ultimately that everyone would join with Christ through faith uh, and that when we join with Christ, by implication, we join with the body of Christ, right? And so in joining with Christ, we become part of the body of Christ, the community of faith. And we talked about what does it look like for the body of Christ to live fruitful and thriving lives? The key is love. And we talked a little bit about that. Well, this week we get to that third kind of capitalized word in the vision statement, journey. What is it we are calling people to join? What is this journey that we are calling people into? And we're calling people into what it is not is, it's not simply a choice, right? Of course, we want people to make decisions for Jesus Christ, but that's only the beginning, right? It's more than a choice. It's not simply membership in some kind of exclusive club, right? And it's certainly not just, you've heard kind of the crude statement, fire insurance, right? because that quickly degrades into kind of just doing whatever I want, grace abuse, right, uh, that, that we read about in the scriptures. Uh, what we are called to join is a journey, a journey that's, that's not quick. It's not like a, a three-week process and then we arrive. It is a lifelong journey uh, that, that we live and we walk by in faith. Uh, it's, and, and what we're going to talk about this morning is it's not a journey that's the proverbial walk in the park, Right? For any of us who've lived any amount of years in this world knows that the journey, the journey of faith is a challenging one. And there's obstacles and there's temptations and there's opposition and we're gonna talk all about that. But before we do, let's return back to these gospel waters of Ephesians 2 verses one through 10. And if you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Uh, once again, Ephesians 2, one through 10. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, God continues to speak to us today. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word as Lord, we keep returning to these 10 verses which, which summarize, which speak of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel of, of grace. Lord, a, a, a good news, grace that we have not earned. There's nothing we could do to earn it or deserve it. And yet, Lord, you offer it. And Lord, it... We pray that by your spirit you would, you would teach us your wisdom so that, Lord, we would, we would understand and know how to walk in your ways on this journey that you call life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, last week uh, I opened and kind of used this imagery of, of the movie uh, Free Solo. And remember, the, the point of that was to talk about that the journey of faith is, is not a solo mission, right? God created us to be in community and, and to go through life as a community, as the body of Christ. Well, this week, I want to kind of just build off that same imagery, uh, this time not free soloing, but uh, hiking. How many of you like to hike uh, different trails and different, uh, some good trails in West Michigan? I've heard there are. Uh, on the the screen, that is, uh, does anyone know what that is? Where that is? Any guesses? That's in Phoenix, Arizona. That's Camelback. Um, A long time ago, before kids, when Yvonne and I were younger, uh, when I was younger and when I was fitter, uh, is that a word, fitter? More fit, better shape? You get what I'm saying, yeah. Um, We visited some friends in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, my buddy at the time asked if I wanted to, to take a, a hike that first morning we were there. And uh, it was up Camelback. And that's the, that's the trail that we took on. And he's explaining it to me. I'd never heard of Camelback except for the backpacks with water in it. I'm guessing that's probably connected. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so we're, we're getting ready and he's telling me about the, the, the trail. He says, you know, it's, it's not a very long hike. It's only a little over a mile one way. Uh, but he said it is, it is strenuous, it's intense. The elevation gain on the, tra- uh, the trail is 1,400 feet, and uh, which, you know, that didn't really mean anything to me. All I knew is a few months prior, I had hiked Ontario Peak in Southern California, which was like seven miles or something. So I'm like, one and a half miles, whatever, no problem. I was way too overconfident. So that night we get together, we're, we're hanging out, staying up way too late. We're soaking in a hot tub for way too long, which is not a good way to prepare for an early morning hike. And we're eating a bunch of junk food. We wake up in the morning and instead of like making a nice hearty breakfast, we run to the local grocery store and uh, he's more wisely getting cliff bars or, you know, these things. And I, and I, I don't know why I did this but I decided that I was going to get a Slim Jim. Like, like this was the time to step into a Slim Jim, you know? And uh, so I bought a Slim Jim for my breakfast, and uh, it went about as well as you can imagine. We, we got to the trail, I think it was Echo Canyon Trail uh, Park, and we start hiking, and, uh, you know, things are going well at first. You know, it's not that steep, and then pretty soon we get to a section where it gets real steep, and it's what, th- we reach pole climbs, 
I'd never heard of pole climbs, but they are, as they describe, there's poles in the rock that act like railings that you use to pull yourself up because it's so steep. Well, we go up a couple of these pole climbs. We get, I don't know, maybe halfway up and I'm exhausted. We go a little further and by that point, I'm not feeling good. Uh, and uh, I'm lightheaded, I'm feeling woozy, and uh, I'm feeling like I'm about to step out of the Slim Jim or the Slim, anyway, we, you get what I'm saying, right? I'm feeling sick to my stomach, and we're on vacation, and I don't want to ruin it. And so we stop, and I turn around, humiliated, and I go down the mountain in defeat while like six-year-olds are scampering up the hill, you know, <laughs> past me. Uh, someday I'm going to climb Camelback. But this morning, we're talking about journeys, okay? And here's the point of that whole story. Whether, you, whether we're going on a strenuous hike or talking about the life of faith, I think we'd all agree it's important to know what we're up against. I didn't have a very clear picture of what I was up against climbing Camelback. I kind of scoffed it off like it wasn't that big of a deal. But we need to know the challenges. We need to know the obstacles. We know, need to know what's ahead so that we can be prepared. Whether we're climbing Camelback, Echo Mountain Trail, or whether we're talking about the journey of faith, the spiritual walk as a Christ follower. We need to know what we're up against. Now, before we get into kind of what we're up against and what are the challenges in this journey of faith, we first need to begin by grasping a key theological tension found in the New Testament. So you ready for a little bit of theology? Not sure? Well, we're going there anyway, okay? So a little bit of theology. We got to understand uh, how to grasp this time of the life in between, okay? So we're going to get into some theological terms. And what I mean by that is, what is this? We live in this time between when Jesus first came 2,000 years ago, when he lived on this earth, he walked this earth, he died on the cross, he rose again and ascended back to heaven. Uh, we live between that time and the time when Jesus will come again. Sometime in the future, we don't know when that is, but sometime in the future, Jesus Christ will return. And it's been 2,000 years, but we live in this time between ages, right? And what we're going to kind of frame it as the journey toward what is already finished. Okay, I'm going to kind of parse that out. But we live and we're on this journey toward what is already finished, I've mentioned this before, but the beautiful thing about kids' movies is most of the time, things work out in the end, right? We just had this experience last night. We were watching a movie, and and there's something bad happening, and Bryson's scared, and Emmy, she knows the drill. She's like, don't be scared. It's going to be fine in the end. We hadn't seen the movie, but she knew it's going to be fine in the end. You know, movies for us grown-ups, a whole different story. Apparently, the Academy... I don't know who the Academy is who comes up with the awards, but they've decided that we like movies that end really sad, right? Because uh, those are the ones that always win the awards. Anyone else? Okay. If it's won an award, be prepared to leave the theater really sad and depressed. Anyway, but for kids' movies, we know the, the story ends in a good place. And if you think about the journey that we're on, right, we know how the story ends. Right, God has given us insight through his word. We know how the journey is going to end. Revelation 21, right? We're given this glimpse of the kingdom of God and we're told that one day Jesus Christ will return and when he returns, a new heaven and a new earth will descend upon the earth that God's kingdom, God's reign, God's rule will be established once and for all. 
in its fullest form and version when Jesus Christ returns. It's a kingdom, it's a rule, it's a reign that's defined. Revelation 21 says there will be no more crying or mourning, there will be no more death. We know how the story ends when Jesus Christ returns. His perfect plan. Now there's uncertainty, right, about the when. We don't know when it'll happen. There's uncertainty, the specifics of how it'll unfold. There's a lot of debate and disagreement about that. But what we know is that when Jesus comes again, his kingdom will be fully established here on earth. What we know, though, in the meantime, is that future hasn't come yet, right? We're still waiting for Jesus to come in fullness and return his second coming. It has not arrived. And here's the thing, though. Scripture talks about what is fully finished. There's assurance in Scripture that the work of Jesus Christ is finished. When Jesus says, it is finished, he means that. The Scriptures tell us that salvation is here, that Jesus' work is completed. It is finished. In fact, in our passage that we read this morning, verses 4 through 5, we read of that reality. But because of his great love for us, it's on the screen, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. That's that's the, the, the Greek there. It's finished. It's been done. We are alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You have been saved. Not you will be saved someday. It is a present day reality. You have been saved. We have been saved. It has happened already. The kingdom is here because Jesus Christ has fully accomplished all that is required for salvation. The kingdom is here. Salvation is here as we talked about that union with Christ. It is here. It is now. And yet, scripture also talks about there's something we are waiting for. Right in Mary's prayer, the the Lord's prayer this morning, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We understand that there's something more that we are waiting for. In theological circles, the, the language to describe this tension is the already and the not yet. That we live in this season of the already, that Christ has come, that has been fulfilled, and yet Christ is coming again to make all things new, the not yet. And I was trying to think of what, what's, what's a helpful way to kind of grasp this, because in, in Christian circles and theological circles and seminary, already not yet, it, it kind of makes sense because we've just heard it all the time. But if you've never heard that language, it's like, what does that even mean? That doesn't make any sense. Scripture actually gives us a helpful illustration. Go figure, right? Are we surprised? No. Romans 8 uh, uses this imagery uh, of a mother who is about to give birth. For those of us who are parents, do you remember the day your first child was born? I remember it was June 25, 2013. Our oldest, Emmeline, was born on, on June 25, 2013. Do you know when Father's Day was that year? It was June 16, that same year. Do you think we ignored Father's Day that year? No way. We celebrated it. Nothing fancy, but Yvonne said, Happy Father's Day. Why? Because I was already a father. I was already a father of this child, even though she hadn't fully come yet. 
we were already parents and yet not yet quite experiencing the fullness and all the stress of being parents. Well, Yvonne was, right? <laughs> and, and in the meantime, in those next 10 or 11 days, there was, there was a lot of work, there was a lot of suffering, some agony to happen. Again, it was more Yvonne's job, right? I got a sore knee. Okay, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for responding. That was a joke. I'm going to pay for that one. But we didn't experience the fullness. And I got to tell you, I, I'll never forget that moment when, and, and it was a long, you know, it was long, it was hard, and, and, but I remember first seeing Emmeline for the first time and the joy and the emotion that just, that just spilled out of us, you know. It made that pain and the waiting and the discomfort all worth it. Again, for me, I think Yvonne can speak for herself, but already, but not yet. Is that helpful? See, for Christians, it means that we are living in this in-between time, that we are saved, we are redeemed, we are fully children of God, right? That is a reality that is already fully present, and yet we're still waiting for Christ to come in a way that will bring the fullness of that gift of salvation. Already, but not yet. And so when we talk about life as a journey, life as a journey takes place in, for us as Christians today, in that kind of tension of the already and not yet. It is a journey where we are in Christ, and yet it is a journey that still has its own set of challenges and temptations and struggle. We still face opposition on this journey once we are joined with Jesus Christ. It's a journey filled with opposition. Paul mentions in our passage, uh, verses one through three, he mentions three primary oppositions in Ephesians 2 that we face when we were dead in our transgressions. Because we live in this between ages, right, the, the, the already and not yet, we, we know also because of our experience that once we are joined with Jesus Christ, once we are made alive in Christ, that doesn't mean that all of our problems dissolve and go away. Right? We know that because we've experienced it. We know that there are oppositions and challenges and struggles and so all of these three challenges, these oppositions that Paul lays out in the first three verses of chapter two are challenges that continue, that remain in a different way for us as we journey with Christ, with one another. Those three things, those enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Verses one through three. Right out of the text. You followed the ways of this world. Talking about how we used to live. You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's that referring to? The devil, right? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. St. John of the Cross writes this. All the evils to which the soul is subject proceed from the three enemies. The world, the devil, and the flesh. What I want to do is we talk about the journey of faith. We need to understand what we're up against. And so just briefly, I want to just touch on each of these three to, to understand what we are up against on this journey. Uh, and as we talk about these three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, before we begin, I got, we got to mention one other thing. 
that in the Greek language, just like the English language, uh, one word can have multiple meanings, okay? And so there's some confusion when we read about the world or we read about the flesh, like what is actually being referred to here in the scripture? A simple example in the English language is the word ball, right? The English word ball can have multiple meanings, right? A ball can be a, a round object that you bounce and you play games with, right? You know what that is. A ball can also be a formal dinner dance that you may or may not leave a glass slipper at. Right, a ball, you got it. Or ball can also be a way of describing a good time. The boys are just having a ball at the OK Corral. Is that even, uh, that's not even a saying, right? Anyway, you get, this, you get the point. Ball can have three different meanings, okay? The same is true for Greek words as well. So let's begin with the world. The world, the Greek word for world is cosmos. Now we, that sounds familiar, cosmology, right? Uh, cosmos can mean multiple things. It can, be, it can mean or be translated several ways in scripture. It can refer to the earth, like the planet earth, right? The planet we live on. It can also refer to humanity. We get both of those meanings in one of the most famous passages of scripture, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, referring to the human race, right? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did, did not send his son into the world, the planet, right, the world, to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now one of the questions is how do we reconcile that, that God so loved the world but then in 1 John chapter 2, John writes, do not love the world. So God so loved the world, but do not love the world. How do we reconcile that? It's different meanings of the same word. In 1 John 2, it's the same meaning that Paul is referring to in Ephesians 2. It refers to culture or societal norms, the ways of the world, if you will. And so it's totally consistent that 1 John 2 would say, do not love the world or anything in the world, right? Right? It's totally consistent. Do not love the ways of the world. Are you with me? You catching the difference? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's take this to our own context. Uh, talking about the enemy of the world. What do we mean by that? Consider the influence of our world today. Consider the influence our culture has on each of us today. Even in ways that are counter to God's good order for life in this world. How easy is, is it for us to be influenced and swayed by philosophies and ideologies of our culture? Paul writes in Ephesians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 14, he writes this, Then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Isn't that an accurate picture of how the culture and the world can influence? It's, it's like being caught in, a, in an undertow. Have you ever been caught in a riptide? I was just talking to Darwin about this. That's terrifying. But the world can influence us like wind or waves and it just sways us back and forth. And those messages, whether it's around money or sex or power or the worship of self, this hyper-individuality that is coming at us constantly. And think about it. It's, it's in our pockets. 
We come to church for an hour a week, maybe two. How, off, how many hours do we spend on this device? We have, to be, we have to understand what we are up against if we're gonna journey this journey of life well. And the world is an influence in our lives. Next, let's talk about the flesh. The flesh, Greek word here is sarkos or sarks. Uh, the, the English word that, you, that will, has this uh, meaning would be sarcophagus, right? <laughs> it's a little morbid, but it gets at the meaning of the flesh. Uh, it can refer to, this, this word sarkos can refer to uh, the body, so your physical body. It can also refer to ethnicity in some places in the scriptures. And these are not things that must be resisted, right, but embraced, right? We are embodied beings. God created us with a body. Jesus Christ resurrected with a body. Our bodies matter to God, right? Jesus, or the Apostle Paul calls our bodies temples of the Holy Spirit. So this is not to reject the body, right? But there's a different meaning. Our flesh or sinful nature, sinful desires. That's the meaning in Ephesians 2 Paul is talking about. In fact, expanded on in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That's a relevant statement for us, right? We see the same thing playing out in Romans 7. Paul famously describing this kind of inner tension within himself, struggling with the flesh. He writes, for I know that good, and self, good itself does not dwell in me. This is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. Right, this inner tension with the desires and knowing what is good, but the heart and the... Let's fast forward to today. Know what we're up against. Because kind of building off the, the messages and the ideologies of the world, the message our world gives us leads us toward the, the, the heart and the mind. But, but what scripture tells us is that the heart and the mind is deceptive. Our world preaches, follow your heart. You be you. You live your own truth. This is the message we hear day in and day out. But our, see, our world preaches that the highest truth the highest truth we could come to is whatever we think or whatever we feel. But scripture reveals that the heart is deceptive. Ephesians 4, verse 22. What the heart wants, it's not always good for us. I think the simplest example for me is food, right? What do I want to eat in like a half hour? I want to go scarf down like 12 of those donuts, right? I want to go home and I want to eat a whole bag of potato chips and eat a whole chocolate cake with chocolate ice cream and I, I got to quit talking. See, look, I'm already, I'm already falling in the trap, right? By the way, when you get older, you can't do that because your body tells you the next day, what have you done, right? It's not good for you. Or, or other parts of, of my disordered desires. I like that, disordered desires, right? I love football. I probably have too strong of an attachment to football and watching football. Like today, I would love to just lay on the couch and watch football for like 10 hours and ignore my kids, right, for the whole day. Would that be good? No. That wouldn't be good for me later because Yvonne would get after me, right? <laughs> That's right. 
But I'm willing to guess that each of us, each of us has experienced the painful consequences of someone we know and love who has decided to follow all of those disordered desires at the detriment of those around themselves. Because when we follow those disordered desires, it leads to destruction and it leads to death. We have to know what we are up against on this journey. And finally, the, the, the third one, the devil. You see, oftentimes working behind the scenes, even in these previous two, uh, the flesh and the world, is, is a spiritual enemy, right? In the scripture called the devil, the Greek for devil is diablos. Uh, there's also the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Satan, the accuser, the adversary, the liar, the enemy, the destroyer, the, the names for the havoc the enemy creates goes on and on. But there is a spiritual world, there is a spiritual reality that's often dismissed in our secular culture, right? That's dismissed as kind of superstition or primitive. But I think these words that C.S. Lewis writes at the beginning in the introduction of his famous work, The Screwtape Letters, if you haven't read The Screwtape Letters, it's this fictional um, uh, correspondence between a demon and his superior, uh, scheming on how to trip up the human beings, right? It's a fascinating work. He writes this at the introduction, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or about the spiritual realm. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, referring uh, to the, the enemy, d themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Pretty wise words written many years ago. We, we must not dismiss the spiritual realm as if it doesn't exist, but we also must not obsess over it and give it more power than they actually have, as we see in like Hollywood depictions, right? Remember, the devil has already been defeated in Jesus Christ. This is a reality we stand on, and yet the enemy continues to have some agency in this world before Jesus Christ returns and fully defeats the devil. And what we need to understand is behind a lot of the misguided teaching in our world, behind the disordered desires of our heart, there are spiritual forces and powers at work. And yes, of course, it's important to be able to identify where the world is leading us astray, to understand where our desires are disordered and leading us astray. But we have to, and we have to be proactive about those things. But we also cannot ignore the spiritual battle that's happening as well. We cannot lose sight of where Paul concludes this letter to the Ephesians. In chapter six, Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is the last thing he writes to the church in Ephesus. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
See, friends, if, if we're going to navigate this journey in the already but not yet, a journey riddled with challenges and obstacles and, yes, opposition, we must remember that this is first a spiritual battle. All those other things are real, yes, but it's first a spiritual battle that requires spiritual strategies. It's not one or the other. It's both, but we have to begin because I think our temptation is to forget that this is a spiritual battle. And again, there's so much that could be said about Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, and we don't have time to expound on all that. We don't have a time to take a deep dive into the different parts of the armor of God, but here are just two takeaways for this morning. Two takeaways. The first is this. The best way that I, I can think of, and actually a commentator actually thought of and I grabbed from him, to sum up the armor of God is faith in the gospel. Faith in the gospel. This journey requires spiritual strategies and we must stand firm in our faith in the gospel. Because think of this, the enemy's primary weapon as he moves around this earth is deception. The primary weapon is deception. And the primary battleground is our mind and our hearts Genesis chapter three in the garden, the serpent says to Eve, you remember? Did God really say? Did God really say? The enemy's age-old strategy is to get us to question what is true and what God has told us to be true. He uses lies. He uses deception. He uses manipulation and accusation playing on our disordered desires and needs to get you to trade in the truth of God for a lie. And to stand firm in the faith of the gospel Over and over in Ephesians 6, in the beginning of that passage, Paul writes to the church, stand your ground, stand firm, stand in Christ who is our foundation, the truth of the gospel. Our primary defense to the lies of the enemy is the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk more about that gospel, our identity, right, found in, spiritual formation, formed by, and this call to follow Jesus in this life, following Jesus, we're gonna talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But that's the first thing, is faith in the gospel. The second is this, pray, pray, and pray some more. The final words in chapter six, following up, talking about the armor of God, verses 18 through 20, Paul writes this, and pray in the spirit when on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What do you think Paul wanted us to do? What wanted the church in Ephesus to do and this word continues to speak, to pray. To pray. Our primary strategy for this lifelong journey of faith that's filled with all kinds of obstacles, many of them rooted in spiritual battles, right, is prayer. Because prayer is our lifeline to Christ. Walking this journey without prayer and being disconnected to the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ is like hiking Camelback Mountain on an empty stomach or without any kind of water. If we try to do this without prayer, it's like trying to take on that trail without food or water and what's gonna happen, you won't make it. 
You're gonna become tired. You're gonna become discouraged. You're gonna feel defeated and you're gonna wanna give up and go back down. And when we're tired and when we're we're exhausted and we're discouraged, we are vulnerable to the lies and the accusations of the devil. We need to pray. Remember, the journey is long. There's challenges along the way. The root of those challenges, it's a spiritual battle. So stay rooted in the truth of the gospel and make prayer a priority as your primary strategy in this battle. And remember, like we learned last week, it is not a journey that we are on in our own strength. We have the body of Christ walking with us on this journey. And so if you are in a season where you feel defeated and you need to give up, know that there is a body of believers there right beside you to help lift you up, to pray when you don't have the words to pray, to carry you when it's too hard to walk because we are the body of Christ on a journey. And we need the Lord's help and we need one another. Will you join me? as we pray and ask God to do that work in us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you for the truth found in your word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of your love for us. Lord, truth that is anything but relative or ancient is timeless and true. So Lord, may we be a people who continue to lean on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be a people that continue to make prayer an increasing priority, not only individually, but as a community of faith. Holy Spirit, show us how we might be prepared for this journey you've called us to walk together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship along with us.
I think one of the ways the enemy tries to trip us up is to use the reality that this is a journey, that it is filled with struggle, that it's filled with challenges, that it's filled with opposition. Um, and the enemy wants to use that to defeat us and to whisper lies. Yeah, you're not worth it. You can never do this. Whatever that lie is, uh, speak truth into that lie. Because our God is a God of grace who is there to pick us up. It is not in our strength that we are able to journey. Be reminded of that. Be encouraged of that as you walk one step at a time, one day at a time. And here, uh, uh, the blessing once again from Ephesians 3 to help us remember that it is God's power at work in us that gives us the strength to continue hear this, these words as a benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people say, amen. Go in peace.